Today's reading is Luke chapter 15. Here, Jesus deals with grumbling Pharisees again, but also tells some of the most beautiful encouraging and encouraging parables found anywhere in the Gospels. So let's consider some things we find here. One is the unbelief and self-love of grumbling and complaining. The unbelief and self-love of grumbling and complaining. The chapter begins with a seemingly familiar phrase. What phrase is that? Well, verse 2 begins this way. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled. And it wasn't too long ago, back in Luke chapter 5, verse 30, that we read similar words. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples. By contrast, Christians are called in Philippians 2.14 to do everything without grumbling or complaining. Well, what's the big deal about complaining? Why is grumbling and complaining something to be avoided so? Well, grumbling and complaining are rooted in two basic things. Unbelief and love of self. Unbelief and love of self. A Christian is marked by the opposite of those two characteristics. A Christian is at root one who believes the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's not marked by unbelief, but by belief, belief in the gospel. And a Christian, furthermore, is one who loves the Lord above all others, just as Deuteronomy 6, 5 says we ought. Well, does the Christian always perfectly uh, love and believe without a shred of doubt or without uh, any impurity whatsoever? No, but the Christian is, because of the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, aware of shortcomings and failures and is not content with them. The Christian is like the man who told Jesus, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief, Mark 9, 24. The Christian fights a constant fight against the love of the world, knowing that uh, it is at odds with our love for Jesus. But tragically, Christians are too often characterized by complaining and grumbling, just like the Pharisees and the scribes were in our passage for today. And notice their grumbling, both here and in chapter 5, was motivated by unbelief. They didn't believe Jesus was Lord and Christ, so they grumbled at his every word and deed, and self-love. Jesus was disrupting their places of status and authority. Remember Jesus' indictment of them back in Luke 14. When Christians complain and grumble about things, it is usually motivated by one or both of those things as well. They grumble and complain about their circumstances because they aren't seeing their, their lives through the eyes of faith. And they aren't believing that the Lord is the one who brings them to every circumstance they encounter and has good in mind. Rather than responding in prayer, they respond in bitter grumbling. In reality, it is complaining against the sovereign wisdom of God in his arrangement of the circumstances of your life. And also, Christians grumble and complain about other people, often over matters of preference or an unwillingness to forgive, and both of those reasons stem from love of self. So take notice of these things. It, if there was one sin that the Lord God took Israel to task for and punished them for in the Old Testament, it was the sin of grumbling. You see that in Exodus 15, 24, Exodus 16, 2 through 12, Exodus 17, 1 through 7, Numbers 14, 2 through 4, and, and the New Testament refers to that in 1 Corinthians 10, 9 and 10. Remember that Jesus said that the mouth speaks out of the overflow of the heart, Matthew 12, 34. Constant grumbling, complaining, and discontent are symptoms of a deeper spiritual issue with your heart. So keep a close watch over your heart and let your words always be full of grace. Well, the second thing I want us to think about 
um, has to do with relating to something that happens here to a statement uh, we find in Ezekiel chapter 34 where the Lord says in Ezekiel 34:15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And let's relate that to what, something we find here in Luke 15. The main reason the Pharisees were complaining was because Jesus was receiving sinners. In verse 2, he was eating with them. He loved them. They were offended by it. In fact, they were always supposed to be the ones reaching out to the sinners and leading them to the truth. They were the teachers of Israel. They were to be the shepherds of the people. The Lord had prophesied, like I said, through Ezekiel that a day was coming when he would judge those who were supposed to be the shepherds of his people but who were forfeiting that role. He says in Ezekiel 34.2, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? He excoriates them because they were not bringing back the straying nor seeking the lost, Ezekiel 34.4. And he goes so far in his judgment, like I just read in Ezekiel 34.15, he promises, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep who will seek the lost and bring back the strayed. When Jesus tells the grumbling Pharisees the parable of the lost sheep, I am almost certain their minds would have immediately gone back to the prophecy in Ezekiel 34. No doubt they would have recognized in Jesus' words a rebuke over the, their failure at being the spiritual shepherds of the people while also claiming for, the, for himself the role of God coming to be the good shepherd of the people. Jesus will also tell a parable of a woman looking for a lost coin until she finds it in verses 8 through 10 in order to emphasize that he has come to care for and find all his sheep. But in doing that, he doesn't want the Pharisees to miss the fact that God has made good on his promise in Ezekiel to come for his sheep, and he has done so through Jesus Christ. Finally, joy over genuine repentance. Joy over genuine repentance. One of the repeated themes in this chapter is the joy that ensues in heaven over the genuine repentance of even one sinner. That was the emphasis at the conclusion of the parable of the lost sheep in verse 7 and of the parable of the lost coin in verse 10 and is even further emphasized at the conclusion of the parable of the prodigal son where the fattened calf is killed and genuine, a genuine feast is held, verses 23 to 24. It is a foretaste of the infinite joy that awaits us in heaven. Notice that the prodigal's, prodigal son's repentance is... Uh, Genuine. He is truly repentant in verses 18, 18 through 19 and rehearses what he will say to his father when he, refer, when he returns, when he does in fact tell what he does in fact tell him in verse 21. He recognizes the sin that he has committed and also acknowledges that because of that sin, his father doesn't owe him anything and would be perfectly just to withhold any good thing from him. That's repentance. It recognizes the wrong for the wrong not merely for the unpleasant consequence. But when the son returns repentant, we see the father running to him to forgive and celebrate. Such is our heavenly father. What joy must fill heaven. Think about it and ask the Lord to help you to long for it so that the pleasures of this world that the prodigal son was so in love with lose their flavor and appeal. Read the parable of the prodigal son again. Read it slowly. Read, a, read it uh, autobiographically. That is, putting yourself in the position of the prodigal son read it and worship the lavish love and grace of our god that's luke chapter 15